Blog Talk Radio. It's time for the South Carolina High School Blitz on the SCVarsity.com radio network. All right, welcome in to the Sunday Drive edition of the South Carolina High School Blitz. This is not high school tonight. We're talking all college football. We have uh, some big items to talk about on the big board, but uh, we've changed it up a little bit. Um, got a rock star lineup of co-hosts tonight. We're going to kind of do a round table, if you will. I've got uh, Coach Zach Willis with me. Uh, Coach uh, Brian Smith is going to join us here, and uh, Richie Altman from Southern Sports Central will be on shortly. But uh, we're going to change up. We're still going to talk about everything we plan to talk about, gentlemen. But uh, first, we got to go into uh, the breaking news that we got about an hour ago and uh, the firings over at South Carolina. And from what I understand, um, they have fired Jeff Dillman, the strength and conditioning coach at South Carolina. Um, they're claiming that Dan Werner has been fired, but my understanding is that a couple of weeks ago he may have announced that he was going to retire. But they but they put this out. A source from university um, had put this out as a firing, that he was fired. And Brian McClendon, offensive coordinator, has been demoted. Um, he's going to remain on staff, according uh, to the report that I got. Um, I also got a report that Bobby Bentley will also be staying on staff. Um, and in that same uh, source said that Jake Bentley, quarterback Jake Bentley, will not be returning to the university next year. So that's a lot of a lot of news, uh, real quick in that. And um, I'm gonna I'm gonna bring in Coach Willis and get your opinion first. But I got to tell you, Coach, I, I look at what's happening here. You look at the firing of the strength coach, and and listen, I get that. I mean, I you and I talked about this last week about uh, the injuries over there in 2018. South Carolina had 14 players that suffered season-ending injuries with 12 others missing at least one game. And then uh, in 2019, they lost more than 100 games uh, to, to injuries to players. And um, so, and this is the same guy, the same strength coach that was with him for three years at Florida, and they were getting much of the same thing. But I look at what they've done. You know, I look at Dan Werner leaving, and Dan Werner was a quarterback coach and a co-offensive or an advisor to the offensive coordinator, if you will. Um, so there wasn't any development at the quarterback position. We've all seen that. So I can understand that. But if that's the reason that the guy's leaving, then why do you keep on Brian McClendon? I understand uh, demoting him from offensive coordinator, but if you keep him as a wide receiver coach, has there been a position with less development than the wide receivers? And I'm going to turn this over to you, Coach Willis, because you've got your, you know, your thumb on this thing just like everybody else. What's, what's your opinion on this? Well, honestly, I go back to the very beginning. You know, Brian McClendon was co-offensive coordinator when Kurt Roper was there. And, and, you know, when you got that title, you know, he got promoted and Kurt Roper got fired. Uh, And he subsequently has that offense even worse than it was when Roper was there. And he gets demoted this time. But really, at the end of the day, it looks like a political move to me. You know, he's one of must champs guys, and there's politics being played here. And that's not, you know, I don't think, I, I'll say this, I grew up in South Carolina, 
you grew up there, Jim. You know how it's going to play with the folks listening to us and the folks that are not. The Gamecock fans, everybody out there is going to see this one a mile away. And it's just something that people are not going to respect um, from a public perspective. Now, from a coaching perspective, uh, when you look at it, the, the bottom line is exactly, you know, you've had a, a stable full of really good wide receiver talent there. And, you know, I'd say three years ago when they had Debo, they had Edwards, and they had Shia Smith, they had, I thought, three of the most explosive players in the SEC at wide receiver. And they hadn't gotten a whole lot of production. At times, we've seen that ability. Last year's Clemson game, we saw just how outstanding they could be as far as what they did. They had more points and yards, well, not yards totally, but close to yards. They scored more points than than Notre Dame and Alabama did in the playoffs combined. They scored more against Clemson's defense than they did combined. That's how good they could be. But what that tells you is the potential is there, the talent's there, but it's not getting developed and it's not getting mined out. And I wonder about the offensive line who's been a source. The whole offense in general, honestly, uh, has been a big disappointment to everybody. And it just makes you wonder what's really going on when you see these kind of maneuvers and then you hear that Coach Warner, was, you know, he was brought in to try to help them. I don't think there's been any development quarterback position either. Uh, but, you know, is he to blame for this whole thing? And if he was going to retire, why well, say he's getting fired? That's kind of a slap in his face, and they probably need to clear that up. So uh, I still think there's a lot of questions to be asked, but honestly, do you really expect anything more? <laughs> I mean, isn't this yeah. kind of typical of this whole whole deal? You know, well, I, yeah, I, I agree with you. I think, you know, to me, and I was talking with a, a, a coaching friend of mine earlier about this when we found out that uh, Dillman had been fired – and you know you look at what what's been done. If you if you take these these three transactions together, uh, with Warner gone, and I'll talk about that in just a second. But Warner gone, um, and Dillman fired, and uh, um, Brian McClendon being demoted and kept on staff to coach wide receivers, which is a, a position of of not only a position of need right now. Um, recruiting hasn't been very good there, um, but they're they're losing the guys that they have. And there really hasn't been any development. I mean, we saw when the when our when the major starters went down, we saw that there had been no development in the depth on the wide receiver chart. It, to, to me, it's like we're just reshuffling the chairs on the Titanic on the deck. We're still on the Titanic. This thing's still sinking. We're just moving the chairs around. I agree. I agree a hundred percent. And to go back to Dillman, you know, when you told me my first question was, "Was he at Florida?" Because they had in one game seven starters go down with season-ending injuries down there one year, and he even still hired this guy again uh, in Columbia. You know, well, I lost with him at Florida. I'm going to keep him on in Columbia again. It makes you wonder what the ability is to evaluate the situation, assess it, and make the calls that a head coach has to make rather than, you know, leaving, going and getting somebody new. Uh, you know, because at Florida, injuries were a huge part of why I got fired down there, just like at South Carolina, they're a huge part of the struggle here. So, I mean, I agree 100%. It's really, have you really done anything? I, I, I just don't know if you have or not. And obviously, it's just an opinion, and that's all. But it just seems, I think it's just going to frustrate people. I really do. Coach uh, Brian P. Smith's with us as well. Coach, uh, uh, Coach Smith's a longtime friend of mine. We've actually done some coaching together at some camps and stuff. And Coach has always got some great insight. Coach, uh, what what are your thoughts on this latest, develop, latest development over South Carolina? 
I think it def, you know, definitely needed to happen. And, um, you know, you hate when anybody loses their job, but I think there needed to be even more changes than what was made to right the ship. I don't think this rights the ship at all. I think it's kind of like trying to put a Band-Aid on a, on a dike that's blown wide open. And I, I don't see how it works. I don't see how you demote a guy and keep him on staff and he's going to be happy and everybody's going to kumbaya. And when, like you said, the wideouts were a huge problem this year. They they had no production out of wide receivers. And um, I, I just don't see how you keep them I, unless he's just doing this for now just so he saves his friendship with McClendon. And, um, mm-hmm. you know, McClendon's obviously, I'm sure, job searching. And this helps him a little longer in that job search, but um, I, I just don't see how that benefits anybody in this situation. You saw yesterday at Arizona State, Herm Edwards, who's going to a bowl game, fired his whole offensive staff. He didn't, uh, you know, he, he he didn't worry about people being mad at him and, and losing friendships. And I I just don't think you can at that level. You can't worry about those types of things or else you know the next chopping block is going to be yourself yeah and I think you know if you know you look at uh you talk about putting a band-aid um on a dike that's exploded open I you know I see what what he's doing with the offensive side I'm going to talk about the offensive side for just a second you know with Brian McClendon was his second hire um at the offensive coordinator position since he's been here four years um, you know, he, I said before he hired Brian McClendon, before he was even, before it was even out that that's who he was going to, what he was going to do when Roper was gone, um, that this was probably the most important hire that he was going to make in his career. Um, the reason I felt that way is because he had, he had proven that he's made mad, made bad hires at that, at that same position before in the past. I thought Roper was a disaster before they even, when they announced that they had hired him. And hiring Brian McClendon, in my in my opinion, because I don't think I don't I don't see this job being saved. I don't I don't see this head coaching position being saved, regardless of what happens here. And I think hiring Brian McClendon, not making that job hire as important as it should have been, is probably going to mm-hmm. relegate uh, Will Muschamp to be a defensive coordinator for the rest of his career. Um, I mean, and and on the subject of the offensive coordinator. With a coach that's in that type of position, what quality of offensive coordinator are they going to find to fill that spot? Coach? Right. I, I, I don't see who in their right mind would take that job knowing you got a guy who was the former coordinator underneath you. You got, um, you know, my, my, you got the track history of, you know, you're one year away from being fired, possibly. It's going to be a tough uh, deal to find anybody to take that job, even though, you know, they're paying a million dollars. So I'm sure some someone will jump at it and uh, take it and ho- and try to right the ship. But um, I just don't I, – I don't see a whole lot of talent on, on that side of the ball either on the offensive side to be able to right the ship quickly anyways. So that's, that's another issue altogether. Yeah, I agree. I agree, and I, you know, I think you know, you look at you look at while we're talking about offense coordinators, I, I tell you who I wanted to see uh, them go after before Brian McClendon because it's a Power Five program. You got to spend money, go after a guy with a name. I, I'm gonna tell you, um, 
Eddie Grand, in my opinion, at Kentucky yep. is is probably one of the most unheralded um, offense coordinators in the country right now, and and would have been an excellent hire. But you got a guy like that now is not going to touch this job. Coach Willis. Oh yeah, I, you know as you know that's I love Eddie Grand. I actually I, I live up in Kentucky now, but. That's not why, you know. I watch, I've watched him for for two or three years down there at University of Kentucky, take kids. That he, he's you can always, and I I've always looked at this. And uh, Coach Smith, I heard you won two state titles at C. Murray. So that tells me you're a great coach because nobody thought they could win state championships there, and you went there and did it twice. And and that's the measure of a coach. That's the measure of a coach. You want to find out who a ball coach is. Let him go somewhere where nobody can win and win and win big, and you've got a ball coach. A guy that's got the deck stacked in his favor, anybody can coach him, and I do mean anybody can go to Alabama or somewhere like that, and they may not win a national championship. They'll win a bunch of football games. Uh, yeah. Eddie Grand uh, repeatedly outcoached people at Kentucky, even with Benny Snell and those guys. They weren't that, still weren't that talented. They Beat a very good Penn State team in the bowl game, beat South Carolina five years in a row. He was part of that. Um, and this year, watched them get absolutely slaughtered against South Carolina when they had lost their quarterback. They bring Lynn Bowden in and totally turn everything around. I think Stoops ought to be SEC coach of the year. He won't get it, probably, but, but he should be because it's the best coaching job. And beneath him, and obviously the true value there, and I'm not taking anything away from Coach Stoops here, but he, now he'll tell you, I'm sure, Eddie Grand's the MVP of that staff. And, uh, you know, I, I, that cat's a great, great coach. I agree with you, Jim, a thousand percent. He would have been a great pick. You can't get him now. Hugh Freeze is sitting up there at Liberty, uh, you know, basically wasting away a guy that opened up with two victories over Alabama with a vastly undermanned Ole Miss team. Got a little baggage, but a great offensive mind. Give him a million dollars. I mean, it's a great payday for somebody. And you get somebody that caliber, they may actually be able to help you keep your job. Wow. Well, we have spent about 15 minutes on this uh, Gamecock news, and and, uh, we'll get back to it later if we have any callers that want to talk about it. But uh, we're going to take a quick break right now, hear from our sponsors. When we come back, Coach, you mentioned Alabama. We're going to talk a little bit of Alabama before we get into the Clemson and South Carolina recruiting deal. Um, this is Jim Baxter on the Sunday Drive, and we will be back right after this message from our sponsors. It's calling your taste buds. You know that delicious-looking landmark, that chocolate-dipped cone in the sky located in Triangle City, West Columbia. Under it, the legendary Zesto, where folks have come from miles around the last six decades to enjoy the absolute best Zesto burgers, sandwiches, homemade slaw dogs, and hot fudge sundaes. All fast and fresh and friendly. Open Monday through Saturday, 10 a.m. till 11 p.m. ZestoWestColumbia.com. You ever get frustrated with your lawn maintenance problems or perhaps have some landscaping issues that you need to take care of? Windmill Services can help you out. They're not just a landscaping company. They offer a variety of services for all of your outdoor needs. You can hire them for one-time jobs like landscaping, design installation, irrigation installation or repair, sod installation, and even outdoor lighting services. They also are available for ongoing services like scheduled lawn mowings, landscape maintenance, and grounds maintenance. They've been providing professional outdoor services for 25 years to residential and commercial properties 
in and around the Columbia, South Carolina area. Give them a call today at 803-513-3662 or visit them on the web at windmillservices.net. More than just a landscaping company. You're listening to Jim Baxter and the South Carolina High School Blitz on the SC Varsity Radio Network. All right, welcome back in to the Sunday Drive. Jim Baxter uh, joined by Coach Brian P. Smith, Coach Zach Willis, and Richie Altman uh, from Southern Sports Central. And we're talking college football today. We've uh, spent about 15 minutes on the latest news with South Carolina Gamecocks. And now we're going to get back onto the original slate of, uh, of things that we wanted to discuss tonight. And I, I'm going to, I'm going to throw this out there to, to whoever wants to jump on it first, but I, I'm looking at the game last night at the iron bowl and I'm watching Alabama play this game and, and they got out coached. Um, they got out coached on special teams there at the end of the game. I don't know why in a situation with that much time and you've got to get the ball back, why you're not in a punt safe type uh, uh, defense and, and just, just play it safe and get the ball back rather than run your punt receiving team on the field and then run them off. You got no timeouts and you get caught with 18 guys on the field. You get a penalty, you give uh, Auburn a first down, they win the football game. Um, I, and, and this has been an issue with, with Alabama, the special teams, for a while now. And if you look at the, the record uh, um, Nick Saban's had against um, Gus Malzahn, you look at what's happened the last couple of years against Clemson, I have to ask myself, and, and I'm not by any means saying that the sky is falling in Alabama. Um, I'm not chicken little saying, you know, here comes the end. But we have to take into consideration that we may be looking at the beginning of the decline of, of Alabama football, or at least the dragging of them into a parity situation with the other top teams in the country. Uh, so I'm going to throw this out. I guess I'll throw it out first to uh, Coach Willis and let you give me your take on this. Well, they've missed 101 kicks, I guess, since Saban's been there, which leads all of college football. And, you know, they, they just, they've lost two games to Auburn because of special teams miscues at critical junctures at the end of the game. And this was just a very basic personnel move. And it looked to me like when they replayed it, Saban was not actively involved in, in managing the game at that point. He had other people handling things, and they, they mishandled it. And, and um, I'm, you know, we always – I've always in situations I've been in, I was taught this, and, you know, by a lot of smarter, lot smarter coaches than me that I've worked for. We just go punt safe. We just want the ball back. And, you know, you want to get the ball back the way that game was going. Mac Jones, you know, had a had a pretty good game going. He thrown two picks that went for six points each. So he wasn't perfect, but with the receivers he had, you know, Alabama, you can throw a five yard slant and they'll 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 run the other seventy five yards for the touchdown for you. You don't have to be the greatest quarterback in the world with the receivers that they have. You just want the ball in his hands and a chance to come down and tie the football game up. Or you know, win the win the game, which I think they were capable of doing. Just get punt, have punt safe out there, drop one guy back, get the ball, get what you can on a return if you need to. In my case, I always mm-hmm. demanded a fair catch. 
uh, so you knew you were getting the football back in your quarterback's hands and you already put up, what, 45 points and should have been more than that. But who says you can't score it with a minute to go? Um, I, I, but I, we've seen this out of Saban multiple times. Special teams just not something I think he pays a lot of attention to. I agree. Uh, and um, Richie Altman from Southern Sports Central, I think Richie's got uh, wants to jump in on this conversation. Hey, guys. Uh, first of all, good evening. Sorry, I got in a little bit late here. Things are uh, kind of wide open here in Somerville the last couple of days. But, um, uh, yeah, you know, I'm, I'm not surprised that it was a high-scoring game. You know, I, I've told people all year long, and it's very weird for me because Nick Saban's a defensive guy. You know, I'm not, I'm not a guy that's coached a bunch of defensive or offensive teams, but I've watched a bunch and called a bunch on the radio and TV. But for me, to see a Nick Saban team look as vulnerable as they looked all year long, that was a big concern with them being on the road, being there at, uh, in Auburn uh, in a very hungry Auburn team. This is a, probably the best. Uh, Auburn team they've had since Cam Newton days, right? I mean, they've got the losses, but they've got the strength of schedule to go with it. And uh, it was going to be a shootout. And, and I even put on social media, the team that wins is going to be the team uh, that, that literally stands up tall at, at, at the end. And unfortunately, I'm not understanding how Nick Saban's gone this long and has struggled this bad in special teams. I mean, this is something that you're noticing, uh, like you just said, that, that he's leading the, the country in, in, this, in this category. And I thought the Nick Saban that we knew, right, that we've gotten to know through uh, social media and, 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 and different outlets that I didn't think he really liked to lose at anything, badminton, uh, you know, shopping in the grocery stores or anything. So for him to struggle this bad consistently is, is very bothering, to I would imagine, to everybody in Tuscaloosa. You know, with that being said, though, look at the track, Jim. You nailed it. I mean, he has his record against Clemson, not, not very impressive. His record against Auburn, if you go back and look at the last so many meetings they've played against Auburn, it's also very concerning if you're looking at the, I would say, uh, powerhouse, if you will, right? Yeah, uh, two out of three. And, and uh, I guess, you know, my, my thing on this, my question on this, we, we know that he hasn't had the greatest uh, run on special teams and he's he's got his struggles. But I, I don't know. Uh, Coach Smith, I mean, is this – are we looking yeah. at – uh, at the at the beginning of of the decline I, for Alabama, or is this just something they're going I, through? I said this the first time Clemson beat Alabama in the national title game, and I, um, I told my wife that night when Deshaun Watson pulled them through, and um, that we were looking at the deterioration of the old guard, basically, and Saban represents that old rough, tough, gruff guard. Um, you know, he coaches a certain way, and uh, Dabble, on the other hand, and others, Gus Malzahn, same thing. They represent this new breed of uh, kind of fun-loving football. And, uh, you know, and it's a direct contrast to Saban and his style and his guys that he's put out where everything's kind of hard and, and, and it's meant to be that way and it's worked for him for years. But you see it the last three top 20 games he's faced, he's give, given up over 40 points in each of those games and uh, been outcoached and outmatched. And two out of three versus Auburn, he's now lost to Gus Malzahn. He's lost two out of three to Dabo. And um, it looks like, you know, those teams are rising and Alabama's kind of, like you said, I don't think they'll disappear. They're going to be right up there in parity now, but they're not the dominant team anymore. Um, and with that being said, could they come back next year and 
possibly get in the mix, possibly. Um, but you even see it at LSU now where Ed Orgeron has Joe Brady and they're a fun-loving bunch. And, yeah, Coach O, you know, is a rough, tough, grumble guy like himself. But he, he's new to bring in Joe Brady and these other guys to kind of uh, – meet that demand out there now where kids are different. Kids want, you know, want to dabble Swinney slash Gus Malzahn style more than they want Nick Saban up in your face style. And, um, you see, you see, uh, you see the deterioration starting for sure. Yeah. I, you know, I, I have, I wonder myself if, if this didn't actually start when they had the, um, the stuff going on with Jalen Hurts and, and Tua and not faulting Saban at all for the decision that he made, but does I mean that's got to cause some kind of rift in the family um, when when you have something like that happen and and young man transfers out and by the way he's doing outstanding but you know you look at you look at the um, uh, the recruiting rankings right now and you know um, and I look at, at at what they've got going on. we'll talk about the recruiting classes for South Carolina and Clemson just a little bit but. You know, looking at Clemson with six right now in the recruiting class, and you guys know how I feel about stars. I think the star ratings are kind of, you know, they, they are what they are. I don't think that they really mean a whole lot, but it's all we have to go on when we're looking at how teams are doing. And I think Clemson, you know, has got six five stars in their in their 20 commitments right now for the 2020 class, nine four stars. I mean, this is, they're ranked number one in the country in, in terms of the recruiting class. LSU right behind them, but – LS and Alabama number three, but Clemson's got three, uh, twice as many five stars as LSU or Alabama has, and uh, and then of course they've got you know got nine four stars to go along with it. So you look at Alabama has dropped. I mean Alabama used to be the one that was getting the six and seven five star players, and it's it's not happening now because I think you've got teams, you've got programs like Clemson who's proved that they can they can compete on the highest level, and you've got LSU and what Ed Orgeron's done down there this year. Um, has certainly helped them out and, and put them in I mean, 15, 15 four-stars on that team. But if, if the interesting thing to me is if you look at the number of three-stars that each one of them have, five, six, and four, you know, the three-star athlete, and this kind of brings us full circle back around to South Carolina, you know, there has to be, even in the five-stars, but especially when you're bringing in three-star athletes that, that fit your your scheme. And I understand that you go after three stars and the stars, honestly, I mean, let's face it, man, Russell Wilson was a two star, you know, I mean, so they get it wrong frequently, but you know, you've got to have that development and coming back around to South Carolina, we just haven't seen that development. These other programs take those guys and develop them. Um, The last one I've seen from South Carolina, that was a low star rating that, they actually developed, and I think it really was less development and more just natural talent was Debo Samuel. But uh, I, I think the development of these players is an issue. I agree. Um, and I think uh, that's a major problem is the development of your classes. And uh, for whatever reason, Carolina has not developed them, and I, I think it's kind of a two-fold situation. In order to develop guys, one, you got to play them. They got to get some type of playing time, and you don't see that happening on a weekly basis. You see the same 22 guys on the field, offense and defense, and um, there doesn't seem to be any substitution, no uh, pattern for developing those guys on the field because it, it, it's all fine and dandy to practice and practice, but 
you don't get game experience, I don't know many guys that get better um, just practicing. Um, yeah. You can, yeah. So that, that's a huge issue. And whereas you see, even in the uh, – and I know it was a blowout on the Clemson side, but Clemson frequently plays guys, um, you know, that even Dabble Swinney's son plays, I, I see. I see him out there frequently. So um, – and I know they blow out more teams than we do. But on the other hand, we're, you know – Carolina's getting blown out in a few games this year and still didn't choose to put anybody in. So um, yeah. that's an issue. Well, I, can't develop. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's a depth issue. I mean, and depth, you know, comes to, to, to recruiting. And, I, I, you know, I've, I've said this before. You know, at the high school level, you, you can't blame a coach frequently for things that are going on in the program because at the high school level, you're, you're basically playing the hand that you're dealt. At the collegiate level um, – it's very difficult to not blame the coach because, um, you know, you, you are in control of recruiting. If you don't have the players or if you've got players that are quitting on you, then you're not recruiting the right players. That falls on you. you know I mean, you're the head coach. You're over the recruiting. So that's got to fall on you. The NFL is a different story. The NFL, I think, I mean, you can blame the coach on some things, but I think at the NFL, uh, you know, frequently it's got to fall on the, the, head, the shoulders of the general manager. But uh, I agree. I mean, the depth, the depth issue at South Carolina, when, it, when I look out there when they have injuries at the wide receiver position and I see that they've got a third-string quarterback lined up in a game uh, basically playing as a starter um, or as a one or two uh, in the wide receiver lineup, um, you've got some serious depth issues. Uh, we're going to go uh, take a quick break, only a 30-second break, guys, and we're going to come back, get on to our next subject that I think uh, that we'll all enjoy because I want to talk about this thing with the college football players um, opting not to play uh, in their bowl games. Um, this seems to be uh, almost a, it was a, it was a few of them, you know, a couple of years ago, but now it seems to be an epidemic. And uh, I think it's got a lot to do with uh, agents. Uh, Coach Brian Smith and I talked about this off the air uh, Friday, I think, uh, when we were at the game. And I, I think that's going to be an issue. But we'll be right back after this message. Score big your next tailgate with one of Maurice's barbecue party specials, like Maurice's rib special. Two pounds of pulled pork cooked low and slow. A full rack of fall-off-the-bone ribs. Three big pints of southern side. Ten rolls, a gallon of tea, and 18 ounces of Maurice's signature sauce. Feed ten for about six bucks a person. Now that's tailgate. More at maurice'sbarbecue.com. Their pits have been hot since 39. Go team! That great smoke taste is cooking up for you at Maurice's Piggy Park Barbecue. Welcome back into the Sunday Drive. Jim Baxter along with uh, Coach Brian P. Smith and C.E. Murray, uh, Coach Zach Willis, and Richie Altman from Southern Sports Central. Um, so, guys, uh, last night um, I, was, I was surfing um, Twitter, and I came across a um, tweet from um, a guy that uh, writes, Adam Kramer, who writes for Bleacher Report. And um, he sent a tweet out, and, and Kirk Herbstreet actually responded to it, but it was said, the, the second tweet that he sent out was said, and to be clear, if I'm Judy or Ruggs or D. Smith or Najee, talking about these players for Alabama, I do not play another down of college football. Not sure what 
more NFL people need to see from any of them that they haven't shown over the past two seasons. Now, I took exception to this. I responded to it because, uh, listen, college football, regardless of what, what we know is happening, what we know is going on in college football, college football is not a farm league for the NFL. You know, if the NFL wants a farm league, they need to spend the money and put together a farm league. And my, my partner on 107.5, the game, Jay, um, has, he has been talking about this for years. Uh, Jay Phillips has been wanting to get an NFL farm team. But but these kids, you know, make a commitment to their team. Um, and I, I have to tell you, I, I, I see both sides of this. I mean, I see, you know, a kid that's, that's got the potential to make you know, million dollars, millions of dollars. Why do you want to risk an injury in a game that that is meaningless? But is it really a meaningless game? Was it meaningless when you were coming out of high school and signed with this college? And uh, I just, I, I think we're, I think this is a, we've opened, it's already open. We've opened up a rabbit hole. We're going down now, and there's no return from this thing. I think that agents play too big of a part in college football. They're they're the ones, in my opinion, that are shutting these kids down. And Coach Willis, we we won't talk about this tonight, but you and I have talked about this. Agents also play a part in the shuffling of coaches in college football, and um, yes. and, and maybe we can get into that uh, one day. But anyway, I just wanted to get your take, and I guess we'll we'll start around the horn. We'll go. Uh, uh, Richie hasn't been in uh, been in yet, so Richie, I want you to get your your opinion on this first. Go ahead. Okay, so uh, the one thing I do want to, and, and, and I'm going to get to this one, but for me, uh, back to that Carolina thing real quick, Jim, is, is number one, Will, Much, uh, Will Muschamp is, is, is the iconic, and I'm a Gamecock fan, so I feel like I can say this, is uh, what do they call it, insanity, when you keep doing the same thing over and over and over again and you expect the same result? That's kind of what we get out of Will Muschamp. So it's, you keep bringing the same dudes to the party, I expect the same result, and that's what we're getting. Um, moving forward to this topic, um, what, what, how bad is it, though? I mean, and here's a concern that I've had with a lot of high school coaches down here in, in our area in the low country is what usually happens up top kind of filters towards the bottom. And uh, I'm going to get to how I think it can land and be a problem in high school football coming up. But um, it, it's a bad situation for these kids to sit out. I don't like it. I understand they don't want to get hurt. But you know what? This team didn't quit on them during the year. All right, these guys, these these guys had help to get recognized the way they were able to get recognized, get assistance the way they were, uh, win the games that they were able to win, and do the things they were. But then, because all of a sudden it becomes a me, me, me world, and the generation that these guys are dealing with, they're taking that opportunity to step out of bowl games. We saw it with Clowney back in the day, and we saw it with a multiple uh, amount of guys that just decided, hey, look, we're not going to play. We don't want to get hurt. And that's to me, that's what a bad presence that is for the game of football, for the, any sport. Matter of fact, I don't care what game it is. But my worries here, and, and I'd be interested to hear all of you coaches chime in on this as well. But a lot of coaches are saying, okay, now that there's this early signing date, how does this affect yep. the kids their senior year? To where all of a sudden they're balling out, right? They're going to go out their freshman, sophomore, and junior year. They sign early. What about them sitting out, right? Because we've seen it oh so much how it starts in the NFL, it goes to college. Then it trickles down to, to high school, and you know what? I, I've seen it way too many times for that not to be a, a situation. And I hate to throw a twist into what you're saying, Jim, but I do think this is something if we don't get control of it early, this could lead into other situations going forward. Yeah, Coach Smith, you uh, you're actually active in the I, high school uh, right. coaching world right now. So what what's your take on that? Do you see I, this something that we're gonna? I agree totally with everything Richie said. 
but I, I think we've already missed the boat, Jim and Richie. I, I think it's too far gone. I don't think it's going to reverse course. It's going to get worse now that colleges are, are starting next year are going to be allowed to pay guys. So this early signing period is now going to be seen by these high school kids as like going to the pros. So you're going to see more high school kids doing like Richie said, if they're already signed and there's a chance they're going to get hurt, coach, I'm sitting. And there's not a whole, I mean, all you can do now is kind of uh, prepare for those inevitabilities that are going to happen. And the pros set the example for everybody. When they started taking these players from college that sat out, and Debo Samuel was a perfect example last year. Everyone was mad he sat out the bowl game. It hasn't affected him one bit because the NFL has made it loud and clear. They don't care about college games anymore. They only care if the player is healthy and can he perform at the NFL level. They don't care about loyalty anymore. It's not about loyalty anymore. It's about filling seats and winning games and loyalty and all that stuff's thrown out the window, unfortunately, for us old-school guys um, that believe in loyalty and believe in what the game teaches you and not quitting on your teammates, not um, throwing in the towel, per se. Um, we just got to kind of adapt. And, 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 and do I like it? Nope. I absolutely hate it, but there's not a whole lot I can do about it. Coach Willis, did you? I, I guess uh, you've been out of the game long enough that uh, you probably did not have this problem where, wherever you've been. I mean, from from Newberry to Michigan State to uh, when you were when you were on the South Carolina staff. I, I don't guess you had to deal with any of this. Well, you'd be surprised. I we had Heath Benedict, of course, at Newberry, who'd been at Tennessee and was a top-rated guard prospect in the NFL draft when he came out. And you know, he, we we sat him early in games. But he didn't want to come off the field. Now, we had advice from agents that had not legally signed him uh, that, that they, they wanted him to. And it's just Division Two football, and he told them wh- what he thought of them, and basically they ended up representing him. Um, but they were trying it then. Uh, at South Carolina, we had one very prominent player. I won't name names because there's no sense in that. Um, but he uh, basically, the second half of the Clemson game, all of a sudden he got a phantom knee injury and had two or three sacks in the first half and didn't show back up. And uh, a guy that I respect a ton said, I bet an agent got to him. And that's the problem in South Carolina is, you know, that in Columbia is full of agents. A lot of people don't know that about that area, but it is full of agents. And uh, they prey on those kids, and they'll use anything they can get. And the one thing that Lou Holtz did and Steve Spurrier continued, and unfortunately I don't even know if Coach Muschamp's or where it goes on. I, I don't know. Uh, but – uh, he, they they shut that down. You didn't see that kind of thing uh, with most of their players, uh, and they they controlled it. But the one thing I'll say is this: I agree a hundred percent with everything that's been said here. There's two words, and one of them Coach Smith used is loyalty. The other one is honor. You know, those are lost words in our our, our country today among men. Okay, they have no loyalty not only to teammates but to wives, girlfriends, mothers, daughters. None. Okay, and it's a it's an epidemic in our society. It goes far beyond the game of football. This is just a symptom of a much bigger problem in our society. They worship money. They think if they got a lot of money, it makes everything okay. I've made no money. I've made a good bit of money. And I can tell you this: it only makes your problems bigger if you don't know how to handle it. 
it can't be the end all and be uh, end all and be all because you know what you end up just broke four years later, uh, and you sat after college. You let your teammates down in college, and they don't forget it either. You know that's the thing is it is whatever happened to wisdom? And looking at this thing NFL wise, you know the owners up there they're rich men, but they don't have wisdom, and the reason is is they're 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 robbing the youth of our country. They're setting role models up for kids to be quitters and not finishing what they're doing and be selfish and go after their own selfish interests. And so you've got a cycle, and I think, again, both of the guys that spoke before me, Coach Smith most recently, said, you know, we've already started down a path that's a very slippery slope, and how do you put the – I don't know how you put all the worms back in the can once you let them out, but we've got a real issue here. And when it reaches the University of Alabama, and I'll be very interested to see – if those kids try to pull that on saving, if they do, then I'd say it's pretty much over and we've lost it. But the bottom line is you cannot allow this kind of lack of character to go on as a coach. None of the, they in a coach, there are a lot of coaches that for political reasons are going to say it's okay with them. If they're coaching and they say that, there's somebody I don't want to work with and I don't want them coaching my son. I'll be that strong about it. Well, you know, I agree with you. That I was Go curious ahead. on, and uh, sorry about that, Jim. The one thing that I was curious too, guys, and you're seeing this more too, is that football now a 24/7 sport. Travel teams, you know, I, I'm I'm no bigger fan of baseball playing 24/7 than I am any other sport. You know, I'm a I'm a guy that grew up at 41 with all three sports. That's how we got through it, and I believe you become a better athlete by playing multiple sports. You see it Olympic wise and all, but. Now you have, and we've used this word, but maybe not street agents, right? And they're attacking the young kids and households. They're telling moms and dads, look, don't worry about your high school. You know, let me uh, help them get through it. And, and again, it, it's just a new era. It's a new era for coaches, uh, even like a coach for Pratt up here at, at Fort Dorchester. You see it with Coach Call and, and certain coaches all over, Coach Robinson over at Berkeley, to where these coaches are, they're having to coach these kids away from these guys more than coach these kids up on a football field. And I couldn't imagine, you know, again, in our day, social media was what it is today, what it would be back then. But, you know, guys, I'm kind of curious what needs to happen. Is there a rule that needs to be put in play because you're continuing to see what we call street agents, right? They're now going after these young kids and trying to get in the pockets of these parents. Well, this is a topic that's probably too broad to finish up uh, in the time we have left because we still got to hit recruiting, but, um, you're referring to what I refer to as the bag men. And um, Coach Willis has been around the football long enough to know that the bag, bag men are very prominent in college football. Now, I think that um, Will Muschamp's done a very good job of keeping the bag men away from the program. Um, I, I can't say that about the previous coaching regimes at South Carolina. And and I, I can tell you that this, this thing about the, the players getting paid – of their likeness and image, um, because of of the the lack of the ability to regulate something like that, I believe what's going to happen is we're going to see more and more of the bagmen that have been run off from campuses returning to campuses, and you're going to see these same guys hanging around the Gaffneys, the Somervilles, the Burns, the Dutch Forks, because they're the guys holding that bag that's going to be able to get that kid. Uh, to the college of their choice. And and I think we're going to see more of that. We're going to take a very short break, um, and then we're going to come back and get into recruiting. You're listening to the Sunday Drive on the scvarsity.com radio network. 
If you have roofing or construction needs, call Pac-Man Contracting, LLC. Roofing, rebuilds, remods, and additions, Pac-Man Contractors can do it all. A veteran-owned company, licensed, bonded, and insured. Call 803-363-0739. Whether it's lunch, dinner, or taking home a bucket of the best fried chicken known to mankind, the one place you can get it all is Zesto in West Columbia. And they've been serving the freshest made-to-order Zesto burgers, hot fries, homemade coleslaw, and delicious hand-spun shakes and desserts for the last 65 years. Man, that's a lot of milkshakes and a lot of smiles. Open Monday through Saturday, 10 a.m. till 11 p.m. ZestoWestColumbia.com All right, welcome back into the Sunday Drive. Jim Baxter along with Coach Brian P. Smith from C.E. Murray, Coach Zach Willis and Richie Altman from Southern Sports Central, and we are talking college football tonight. Um, We've been over a lot of stuff, and uh, we're going to get into now some recruiting and uh, originally planned to talk a little bit about uh, Clemson and South Carolina's classes because I think that's what the the majority of the people that are listening to us are interested in. And then we'll get more into the players, uh, the South Carolina – high school recruiting class for the year 2020, and we've seen some great ones around the state. But I've already mentioned Clemson right now, number one in the uh, recruiting rankings, uh, 20 commitments, six five-stars, four-stars. Uh, they got nine of those and five three-stars. Look down at South Carolina, and um, no five-stars as of yet. Um, they've got offers out. Um, they've got 19 commitments. Uh, I'm not sure what they're going to take in this class. They got seven four-stars, 12 three-stars, and this is where where it concerns me a little bit. I mentioned earlier because with the 12 12 three-stars and even the four-stars, you're looking at some development that's going to have to be done. And right now, I I just don't see that happening for them. But but more concerning, you know, for South Carolina on on where they're at in in the recruiting right now is they're behind um, Florida and Georgia in the East. Georgia, of course, at number five. Um, and uh, Florida uh, down at number 13 um, with 12 four-stars in their lineup uh, for their 20 commitments. And I I just think that, you know, finishing third in the East in the position that they're at um, is not very good. And I just wanted to get you guys' thoughts on on where this is at. How does does South Carolina balance this recruiting thing out? Is it something that's going to – it's going to have to wait until after, I mean, do the, do the prospects, are they looking at this program right now and saying, man, I, I don't know who my coach is going to be in two years um, or, or, or where are they sitting right now on this? Coach Willis, I'll let you go first. Well, Jim, I would say this, and I think this is probably the key is what you said is I don't know how any kid that's committed to South Carolina goes there right now unless it's number one their best offer on the table as far as being able to play in the SEC if they want to play there in that specific conference. So they're a lifelong Gamecock fan. And it didn't matter if Satan himself was a head coach, they're going to play there. Um, uh, Especially with the president's shenanigans. I mean, there's been a lot of negatives other than Muschamp that have come out. You're talking to a guy who, who 
coached the South Carolina as a GA, a tight ends coach, and dreamed every day of my life of doing it when I was a child. Just so folks know where I'm coming from as far as my background goes. But, you know, after I became a coach and kind of got behind the curtain, being a fan went out the window. And I'll just say this, they, they really have to be very careful about holding on to the players that they do have. And Coach Smith brought this up earlier about developing the guys they've got because Dabo Sweeney has a very defensive way he does. And he plays kids. There's their second string guys going in in the second quarter when they were playing Texas A&M in North Carolina in the heat of the battle because he wants to play. That's how you truly develop depth. The recruiting is a good, a good foundation, but what you do with it from there is a whole nother level. But you got to get them signed first. You got to get them in the door. And at this point, South Carolina is really, really in a tenuous situation just to hold on to what they have. Honestly, for the season they had, Jim, being third in the East behind those two programs and actually being ahead of Tennessee, in my opinion, is, is not bad. They only won four games, and one of their losses was Appalachian State. That doesn't play well in, in recruits, minds, or in the parent in the home, and with the street agents, too, for that matter. I mean, because you do <laughs> have to deal with it. Yeah. Now, Coach, now Coach Smith, you're actually being in the high school yeah. uh, right now, and you've got you've got some guys on your football team that are that are prospects. So one in particular, I'm going to give a shout out to uh, this uh, Sheldon Bradley, defensive end that you've got. Um, well, I, I take that back. He's a linebacker for you. This guy's going to play defensive end at the next level, six six two oh five. With kids like that on your team, what's their uh, what's the atmosphere right now? What is what are they saying about the South Carolina program with what's been going on this year? Well. You know, I'm fortunate, and Coach Willis hit it on the head. It's a tough sell right now. And, I, you know, I've always kind of leaned towards being a Carolina fan, but I, I love what Clemson's doing. Clemson's killing it. It's a different atmosphere when you go to a game there than at Williams-Brice right now. And, and they do some different things recruiting-wise on their unofficial visits uh, on both of them. One's more personable than the other. Um, and I don't know if Carolina's kind of taking a pro approach to recruiting, um, whereas Clemson takes more of a family approach. That helps them. But also what it amounts to is kids want to win. I mean, you can throw everything out. If, if you're not winning, it makes it a tough sell. And right now it's a extremely tough sell for Carolina to go in those recruits' living rooms. And like Coach said, the street agents, you got to try and uh, sell these guys now, too. What are you selling them? Are you selling them where fifth in the SEC East? So you, you don't have much to sell right now. And like you said, the president throwing uh, Coach Muschamp under the bus and, and all that didn't help at all. Uh, but the, the thing I look at, too, as a coach, I, I'm a high school coach. I, I see talent on the field. You can't miss on what I call generational guys. And I believe they missed on two generational guys this year alone with uh, losing the Hyatt kid to Tennessee and losing uh, Mason Garcia to East Carolina. I, I think those two guys are program changers, in my opinion. And you can't miss on those guys. That would be like missing on Clowney and Gilmore back in when they were coming out of high school. And they didn't. They hit on those two, and we saw the result from just hitting on those two generational guys, they were able to turn a program around for a couple of years. And since that point, we haven't been able to hit on those generational guys 
and th- those are the guys that turn your program. The, the three stars are great, and you can develop three stars and build a winning program. Heck, Wisconsin does it every year. There's a bunch of programs that, that build that way. But you got to have at least one or two of those high-level generational guys to make it in the SEC. Well, we're going to talk a little about you. You mentioned uh, Jalen Hyatt, so uh, it's a good segue to get into the recruiting for the South Carolina high school class of 2020. And uh, I wanted to mention uh, Jalen Hyatt, the wide receiver from uh, Dutch Fort, because there's been so much talk, um, uh, a lot of it from me, posting that dang, I felt like South Carolina should have offered. There's no way that this kid should have got out of state without a South Carolina offer. Um, I think that he got an offer. I think that, that, that it was a, it was one of those offers where they say, uh, we're going to offer you, but you got to commit you know, uh, to save the brand. And, and I, you know, I think at that point he just said, no, thank you, and goes to Tennessee. He wants to get on the field as quickly as he can. But um, I had a, I had someone earlier that, that made a comment when I when I brought up the topic on Twitter about uh, South Carolina not not at least offering and going after this kid um, publicly and um, the the response I got from the individual was well what about Clemson Clemson's letting him get away too well I, I have two things to say about that one um, talking with Clemson about Jalen Hyatt Clemson's only going to sign two wide receivers this year. Um, they don't need a burner. Jalen Hyatt is a burner. Uh, Coach Willis, Coach Smith, both you guys understand that. What Clemson right. was looking for was possession-type wide receivers, and they were only going to take two. That's why they didn't get the offer. But my, the, the, the bigger thing, um, when, I get, when I hear a response like that from someone, is I am not going to question the recruiting of a program that's just won two national championships. And, and has the depth right. that they have in the position. I question the recruiting tactics um, of a team that is struggling at that position and has no depth at that position, and you've got one of the best wide receivers in the southeast at your fingertips in your backyard, and he gets out of the state mm-hmm. without an offer. That's what I question. Um, coach right. Willis, you know, from, from your standpoint as, as, a, as a former college coach, how important is it that you that you try to keep your your hand in the roots of the community where you're at? Um, how important is that to a program? I mean, it's everything. In my opinion, I, I don't – I can only relate to this. Le'Veon Bell and Kirk Cousins were two-star guys. They turned out pretty good. Uh, I, helped, I helped Kirk out with game plan decisions and mentoring him. When I was at Michigan State. Le'Veon Bell was out of Columbus, Ohio. Nobody knew about him. Pat Narduzzi, who's the head coach at Pitt, came to me. I was kind of a recruiting guy with evaluating people and watching them, and that was kind of my thing is picking kids up. And Pat, Pat and Mike Trestle, Jim's nephew, already looked at him and wanted to get another opinion. And uh, he turned out to be a great player. You know, uh, I wish he wasn't with the Jets right now. No offense to Gary Sewell down there in Columbia. He loves the Jets. But uh, anyway, bottom line, he turned into a good player for us at Michigan State, a great place. Uh, there, there are guys around, but Hyde is a no-brainer. He's not an under-the-radar guy. And it, it, South Carolina has a history, as you guys know of. Go back to Joe Hamilton, who went to Georgia Tech, and we botched that thing up. You know, he should have been a Gamecock and wanted to be. And we didn't get him, and therefore we weren't allowed to recruit Courtney Brown the next year, the first overall pick in the whole draft <laughs> when he came out of Penn State. And it's the same kind of deal. You know, they kind of stick their nose up in the air. And guess who reproves all the, the final approvals of the position coach? And that's Brian McClendon. 
Okay, he's a wide receivers coach, right? So it's his job to approve unless the staff is very, very different from any D1 or any, any staff in period I've ever been on. Correct. The, the, the position coach makes that call. And I'm looking at this kid. He's got the high. He's a little bit thin. But, I mean, that's what the weight room's for. Nothing there. His hands are incredible. Some of the best hands I've ever seen. I, I mean, you compared him to Tommy Zimmerman, Roscoe Crosby, and Sidney Rice. That's a pretty good crowd comparing to and he's got a great vertical I, I just don't understand when he's in your backyard at maybe the premier at least currently not traditionally but currently the premier big time high school program in the state dutch fort he's a columbia kid you got to go after this guy it helps you in so many ways and if he beats you when you go to knoxville or he comes in to columbia in the coming years and whips you God help you. I mean, you, you didn't put forth the effort to, to get him. And then the quarterback, I watched Mason Garcia earlier. Good Lord Almighty. I mean, I don't know what you want in the quarterback, but this kid's supposedly 6'5 or 6'6, six, six, right? Yeah, and he's, he's six, six. got an NFL arm. His accuracy is, is D1. Uh, he does it all. He can run. He's like Trevor Lawrence. So I don't know. I mean, you know, everybody sees their own things. Good Lord bless me with, with eyes to see see things. I guess at least some folks you tend to think I, I, other people don't see. I don't see these guys being – these are no-brainers. These are not – when they're in your backyard, you can't let them get out of your backyard. And that's my opinion. Unless they just hate the school and don't want to go there, and then you just tip your hat. But everybody says, hey, it was a kid's decision. Don't let the kid be able to turn around and point back at you and say, well, they didn't even recruit me very hard. That's not a good thing. Not at all. Yeah, I agree. And I think, you know, we're, we're going to spend a few minutes on, on the recruiting, but I, I agree with you. I think that uh, uh, Jalen Hyatt, and I'll get back to the wide receivers in just a minute because I'm going to go over every position in the in the 2020 class and just talk about a couple of kids uh, there. Uh, we'll start in the quarterbacks. Um, Ty Olinchuk and uh, Mason Garcia, we, we've talked about a good bit this year. Um, Brian, uh, you and I, and, and Coach Phil Williams, a good friend of mine, uh, old uh, another journeyman of mm. South Carolina high school football, uh, had the uh, pleasure of going and watching both those kids on the field at the same time uh, the other day. Uh, Olin Chuck, in my opinion, is a power five football player. Um, I, I don't, I don't have a doubt in my mind that he could, he could be playing. I agree. Power five in, in fact, I'm telling you right now, if Olin Chuck was a freshman in college right now, he would have been starting at South Carolina. Um, you know, this is a kid that, that, that the only reason I've got him in front of Mason Garcia, by the way, is because I think he, at this point in his career, he's more cerebral. Um, and the fact that, and I have to give credit to this fact, he's never lost as a starter in three years. Um, so he, he's going to get credit for that. But he's 6'2", 190. He's on a full baseball ride to Clemson. And I tell you what, I, I hope that uh, we see him walk on at Clemson. He loves football, and, and I think that he could get on the depth chart at Clemson. I don't think he, you know, he's going to start over, you know, a, a Lawrence or they got another number one coming in this year in this class. Um, but uh, he is certainly a kid that, that could get on the depth chart. In fact, if he was there this year, he'd be on the depth chart. Um, but those two kids, and Mason Garcia, Coach, you talked about him. You said you watched him earlier. We had a chance to look at him the other night uh, in, in game situation. And, and I'm going to tell you what. He throws, and, and Coach Willis, you've been around. You were around South Carolina for a long time. Mason Garcia yeah. has the strongest. He's got the strongest arm I've seen on a South Carolina high school quarterback since Woody Dantzler. I mean, this kid can 
at flat throw it. Uh, Coach Smith and I watched him standing <laughs> in the middle of the field throw a 45-yard pass outside the numbers on a rope. And, I mean, it, and it was almost without effort. I mean, this is a kid that uh, he's going to East Carolina, and um, they're they're going to suit him better academically. He's got a couple of hurdles that he had to come over academically, but, but East Carolina can get him in. That's where he's going. And I, I think he instantly makes East Carolina a contender in their conference. Well, did you see his footwork? God almighty. Um, oh man, he's he's just got it all. I mean, here, here here's the thing: you got kids with big arms that have slow feet. They're six six, and they can serve a line, but they don't have. They can't get their feet in position. And Coach Smith, who you're a quarterback guy too, now this is your wheelhouse. And, and you know, honestly, Jim, I mean, uh, we're just watching him there, and I'm not one to lavish praise on him. As you know, I, I I'll pick anybody apart, but I mean, he's got. When Kirk Cousins was a freshman at Michigan State, and I think Kirk's had a pretty decent career, um, you know, <laughs> this, this this kid this kid's you know in that level of arm strength now, and and his hip rotation through delivering the football, his body position, no matter if he's on the run, and this is one thing you're talking six six. The only kid I've seen in high school that did that's the kid that's played starting at Clemson now that's never lost a game. And a, a kid down at Dutch Forks just a flat out winner, uh, and, well, and that's what you know. You, you need guys. Some, there's some people in this world, um, you know, that, that that they just win when they you put them right. on the field. They, uh, I'll give you a great example. You mentioned him earlier, the Wilson kid. Uh, you know, he's a perfect perfect guy. I mean, that plays in Seattle now. He is a winner. Uh, he's not exceptional to anything, but winning. And that's what that's what the kid at Dutch for. I mean, yeah, that's what he does. So, I, yeah. you know, I haven't seen him in person, but watching that video of both of those young men, that's what I think of him. And I would, I would think any coach would love to have the big boy. I mean, he is a difference-making, game-changing sucker. Now, I don't know where he's, he's graded, or maybe his grades are tough, but golly. Yeah, well, he's a no, he's a number two in the state, in my opinion. I've got him behind uh, Olin Chuck for the cerebral uh, play of the game. I think Olin Chuck probably goes through his progressions better than any high school quarterback I've seen. But Mason Garcia, and I said this uh, last night, Mason Garcia, um, and I saw Trevor Lawrence in high school. Um, Mason Garcia, in my opinion, is is a better quarterback coming out of high school than Lawrence was. I think he's, he's uh, got a better skill set. I think he's got a bigger arm. Um, I, I, like I said, I, he's got the strongest arm I've seen since Woody Dantzler. But And then we have Luke Doty at number three. He's, he's committed to South Carolina. He's, he's do, dealing with an injury right now. The wide receivers, we talked about Jalen Hyatt. Um, we all know what he's got. He's committed to Tennessee, and, and uh, you know, Lord help South Carolina, that kid can come back and, and hurt them uh, over the next three years, I think, is a mistake. But here's this is a position that's of interest to me because this is where South Carolina's hurting, and I'm gonna I'm gonna list a few players that don't have an offer from South Carolina. Um, Jalen Hyatt, we already know. Omarion Dollison, um, wide receiver from Gray Collegiate. Now he's a burner. He's a five ten, one seventy five slot guy. Um, he's one of the biggest playmakers in the state at the position, and um, you know led the state in reception yards. And honestly, I. I, they don't keep this stat, but I would wager a paycheck that 
he probably leads the state in yards after the catch too. Now he was committed to Old Dominion, but he has backed off because he's got some power fives that are coming in on him. But this is a kid that, and um, I think uh, Coach Smith, you can probably um, speak on this. Omarion Dollison reminds me of Debo Samuels coming out of high Debo. school. Yeah, he's like Debo. You, you yeah. can go ahead and say that. He's very comparable to Debo Samuel. Yeah. And then you got Tylee Kraft down at Sumter, 6'4", 180. He's a kid that is committed to North Carolina. No offer from South Carolina. Lavelle Davis, 6'6", 205 out of Woodland. Big-bodied guy. He can stretch the field. He He's unbeatable in aerial battles. Um he is a, a possession type wide receiver. Reminds me, you know, a lot of Alshon Jeffrey. Um, committed to Virginia, um, so he's going to Virginia. No offer from South Carolina. Jalen Coit, um, Sherall, um, you're familiar with that area, Coach Willis. Five eleven. Oh, yeah. He's a burner slot type receiver. Um, he's like Hyatt. He's great at stretching the field. Uh, great hands. He's uh, uncommitted, but he's leaning to Virginia Tech. But, he, again, another top five wide receiver in this state that does not yet have an offer um, from South Carolina. So, I, you know, when you look at the depth problems over there, um, I just have to wonder what's going on uh, at that position um, and, or, and with the recruiting as well. But um, at the running back position, well, uh, Rod, go ahead. Go ahead. Real quick, I think what we see is a mistake other – Carolina staffs have made is a emphasis on the state of Georgia and a de-emphasis on the state of South Carolina, and yep. I call it lazy. I call it lazy recruiting. It's a it's where you go to a big five A school in Georgia and you offer half the team, and then you go back to your staff meeting and say, oh, you know, we can't take these guys in South Carolina. We already offered half the team at um, you know uh, Valdosta High in Georgia or one of those Atlanta high schools, and you, you don't want to put out too many offers. So, But someone at some point needs to say, hold on, you got to recruit the home state first. because." And Coach Willis, I'm sure, can attest to this. And this is the same problem a lot of college guys get into. And, you know, I, I was a GA at the Citadel for a couple of years, and I can attest to this too. If you don't have home state guys, in certain games, your out-of-state guys aren't going to play as hard. Amen. Um, and and, and yeah. you see that. The in-state guys play harder for your school. Yeah. Yeah, and and it, it, it is what it is. You can't change that. So you yeah. got to have a base of in-state guys who can pull the whole team up and say, hey, we got to stick our legs in the ground this game and get after it, or else the other guys – they're like, you know what, hey, screw this. I'm not even from this state. I mean, it, it, it's a big difference. So yeah. And, you and, you know, have you've got to home state first. Yeah, and, you know, with, and this goes for Clemson, too. I mean, you've got – there are kids in this state that grew up dreaming about running down the hill at Clemson or they dreamed about running out to 2001 for South Carolina. Those are the kids that if they're capable of playing at that level that you want in your program because they're going to be leaders. And I'm going to tell you something else. I have never seen – the South Carolina fans turn on a coach for a player that didn't pan out that was a local kid. You, you see it for kids nope. that don't pan out that are not from right. here. But the, but the kids that are, that are born and bred here in South Carolina, if they offer them and they don't pan out, I've never seen coaches criticized for that. 
Um, so you, you really have nothing to lose by going after a kid like that. On the running backs and, and coaches, and any time you want to jump in on these guys I'm naming off, because I'm going to try to run through this, this list. At the running back position, we've got Roger Harris, uh, 5'10", 205 at Burns, one of the top uh, backs in the state easily, uh, committed to East Carolina. Braden Bennett, uh, good bloodline there. 6'1", 180, Southside, did not play this year. Had a had an injury uh, that, that uh, took away his senior season, but he has multiple Power 5 offers, um, and, and we know that uh, he comes from a family of running backs. Uh, Braden Walker, uh, the running back from River Bluff, hard-nosed, blue-collar type guy, reminds me of John Capaletti. I know a lot of – some of our listeners probably don't even remember John Capaletti, but, um, <laughs> but he's a, he's a shrine bowler, and, yeah, he's a shrine bowler, and I think he's going to do great things at Citadel. He's committed to Citadel. Um, offensive line, uh, a position this year that we just were not very deep at. Coach Smith, you're on the uh, North-South All-Star uh, coaching staff, so you understand that. But the ones we have are, are, are good. We got some at the top, the top heavy. Tyshawn Wanamaker from Calhoun County, 6'4", 330 pounds. Uh, he's committed to South Carolina. Trey Jones from Abbeville um, committed to South Carolina. I think Trey Jones, and I don't know if you've seen him play, Coach Smith. You probably watched his film. I have. Uh, he's he's a mauler. He, this is a kid. I love, that, I love Trey Jones. Uh, he may be, he may be the surprise uh, prospect that signs with South Carolina this year. He may be the biggest surprise, pleasant surprise out of that signing class. Six three two sixty five, and uh, he's he's got the potential to be a very good offensive lineman down the road. Uh, Parker, Jim, Clinton, I'll tell you oh, go ahead. I'll tell you this about. I'll tell you this about Abbeville, from Dennis Botts to the young fellow that's there now. They have a tradition of physicality, and I never, ever had a kid out of Abbeville that wasn't tough as nails. Um, and uh, I, I, wanted, I wanted to add this, too, to what Coach was saying about lazy recruiting. This is a very key point. I don't want to talk to you on your recruits because these young people need to be recognized. But that what he said is so true of the University of South Carolina as I know it. You get coaches from Florida and Georgia. Well, where did McClendon and Will Muschamp, where are they from and where did they play? They're from Georgia. Okay, now I'm going to be, as the young people say, I'm going to be real for a minute. Okay, I think there's a bias there. As coach called it, I'm going to I'm going I'm to stand up upon his shoulders and say he's dead on the money, 100% right. There's a reluctance because these guys, Will Muschamp does not seem to me to be a people person. Dabo Sweeney is obviously a thousand percent people person. He loves people. That's an automatic advantage. But going into it, Dabo can go in anywhere and talk anybody into anything. Now, he's going to do it with integrity, and I really believe that. But Will Muschamp, I believe, is uncomfortable doing that, and I believe a lot of his staff is he hires X and O guys, not Jimmy and Joe guys. Football is about Jimmy's and Joe's when you win championships. And to back up your point, you said, I'm sure Coach Willis – uh, coach assumed, hey, Coach Willis emphasized South Carolina. They'd never won a, a championship at Newberry in 94 years of football when I got there. We won two in three years. When we went to the national playoffs, we went our second-round game against North Alabama. We were the smallest school in the history of Division II football in the United States, number one to ever win a championship, number two to ever be in the playoffs or advance in them. We, had to, we got 56 kids that we're allowed to put on the field for that game, 54 of them from the state of South Carolina. Now, I know people say, oh, that's just college football. I think football is a relative thing. That's why I said when you win a state title at C. Murray, 
To me, that's the equivalent of Vanderbilt winning the national championship. That's how good a coaching job Coach Smith did, and I want to say that publicly. You want to recognize a great coach. Go find somebody that's doing it with the deck stacked against them. And I just wanted to throw that in there because it was such an excellent point and how you guys compared recruits and what recruits get from different schools. For the folks listening out there, this is real stuff. This is not fluff. You need to lock on to what these two guys are saying because they're shooting you straight. I just want to commend you on telling the truth. Well, you know, and, and again, on the on the recruiting, it's about relationships. And, and you mentioned Newberry, so I'm going to throw this in there. I, you know, we go back a long way, and I think that we, we knew each other before this, but we, 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 we struck a relationship when um, you were talking to me about my, one of my sons uh, during his sophomore yep. year. And, um, mm-hmm. and, and I, you know, he would have never even looked um, at Newberry College, didn't even know it existed um, if, it, if it hadn't been for you. And actually ended up that's in that's where he ended up going. You know, he wanted to stay close to home, and and uh, so um, I just just want to commend you for the for the type of coach you were in terms of recruiting because I think that's important. I don't think it it's stressed enough that recruiting is about relationships. Now I will tell kids all the time, don't make your decision based on the relationship with with the recruiter because there's a good chance that he's probably not going to be there at that school in three years but uh but but certainly um it's important in opening the door uh to prospects coming into your program absolutely and obviously i i left and went to michigan state and your son ended up at newberry but the key to it is is that we've got to have in-state people because south carolina kids that, that that palmetto bowl it means more to them than it does kids that are coming from out of state, at least for the first couple of years. And I literally heard of one kid say one time, he was from Florida, and we had a big-time player at South Carolina. He got up the locker room before we played and said, y'all don't play hard today. Why should I play hard for y'all against Clemson? This is my Clemson when I play them. So how's that right. for proof that what Coach Smith's right at? How right is he? <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah. I, mean, right. well, does, I, can, I, I can add to that. um a couple of years ago when Chuck Amato was at NC State, and I, I, I'm lucky enough to go to some games there at NC State. And um, at that time, Chuck Amato filled the NC State team with a bunch of Florida kids, and mm-hmm. it didn't go so well. And the reason was those Florida kids, again, they didn't want to play against North Carolina. They didn't want to play against Duke. They didn't want to play at that time against the Wake Foresters of the world. The only games they cared about were Florida State and Florida. And uh, when they played in Miami school, um, that's who they wanted to play against. And and you saw it in that era where they would rise up and play great against Miami or great against Florida State. And then next weekend on an afternoon game, go out and get their butts kicked by Duke or Wake Forest. And that got Chuck Amato ultimately fired. Um, And like, like I said, you've seen it time and time again where people forget I bet I have a good group of in-state kids. And like you said, uh, Coach Willis did an excellent job of that at Newberry. And, and that's why Newberry's the team they are today. And uh, we appreciate that as high school coaches. It's easier to go into a school when you do those types of things. And even though Clemson hasn't signed a lot of guys the last two um, classes, 
I think what Coach Willis said is true, too, where uh, Dabo and his staff being such a family-type atmosphere and always welcoming, that still gives them an end with the high school coaches that you don't necessarily have if you're not that open. Yep. Yeah, I agree. I agree. No doubt. Um, on to the tight ends. Uh, this Man, this is just a dry year for tight ends. We don't have a lot of tight ends, and I think it's got more to do with the, the – um, evolution of the game and the lack of using these guys because um, outside of outside of Tom Knotts at Dutch Fork I don't know anybody that really uses a lot of tight end it's more of an H-back thing but I've got Chris Bird number one uh, 6'3", 225 from Burns he's a he's a true form H-back um, and I think he can play tight end he's a good blocker he, at the point of attack very aggressive he's got good hands and and he's committed to Georgia State I tell you what Sean Elliott's doing a great job at at uh, Georgia State of, of taking of cherry picking kids out of South Carolina, Eli Wilson from Wren, six three two fifteen. He's a kid that he's going to App State. I don't think I don't see him playing tight end at the next level. I think this is a guy that's, that's probably going to move around a lot uh, as a receiver. Um, Jesse Sanders uh, is is probably the most true uh, form tight end that we have in the state. I got him at number three. He's a South Aiken guy, six four two forty, big frame. Uh, he's got offers from Akron, Georgia State, Army, uh, UT Chattanooga, and Coastal. Not sure where he's going to go yet. He hasn't made a decision. Defensive tackles, um, Coach Smith can can uh, confirm this. This is not a very deep position in South Carolina. Um, but uh, the ones that we got at the top are, are, are good. Uh, Alex Huntley from Hammond, the uh, 6'4", private school guy, but he he's make no mistake. This is a public school kid that's playing in private school and. Uh, He's a you know, strong inside two or three technique. Um, I he I think he, he's more of a run stopper than anything else, and uh, he's committed to South Carolina. Tonka Hemingway, six three two fifty five from Conway. He's committed to South Carolina. I don't think Tonka had quite the season that uh, I expected him to have. Um, had probably a better junior year than he did a senior year, but um, he'll get over there. And the problem we mentioned before, if he can get developed, uh, could be a very good player for South Carolina. Um, Xavier McIver from Sherall, 6'2", 290. I think he's kind of unassuming because of his size, but uh, he's committed to East Carolina, and I think he's a kid that can disrupt the backfield uh, very easily. On the defensive end side, we've, we've got some very good players um, at the defensive end position. Jordan Burks from Hammond, 6'5", 250. Most people have him as the number one player in the state. I've got Jalen Hyatt at number one, uh, Burks at number two, but uh, he's you know very athletic, long-bodied guy. Coach uh, Willis, this is a kid that reminds me. I've heard people compare him uh, to Clowney. He's not a Clowney, but he does remind me of Cliff Matthews. And I know you remember Cliff Matthews oh. uh, when he was playing at Sherrill. Yeah. Um, so very, very solid player. Cliff, of course, uh, went on to, to play for the Atlanta Falcons. But uh, linebackers this year, um, again, not very deep, but what we have in the top five, very good. Jamari Littlejohn from Gaffney, six foot two twenty, committed to App State. His season was shortened with an ACL injury. But he is already uh, in rehab and recovering well. Deshaun Watson, probably the most underrated uh, defensive player in the state, 6'1", 205 at Barnwell. Very physical, explosive. They use him as an edge rusher at Barnwell, but he's a guy that, that I think he's athletic enough to play uh, in a 4-3 and, um, and, and also athletic enough to play in a 3-4 and, and, and coverage because he's got that kind of speed. Uh, Justin Abraham uh, from Hartsville, 6'1", 230. He's um, offers from Georgia State Liberty. Dwayne Martin from Lawrence. He's committed to Louisville. He's a 6'1", 205 guy that, that plays on both sides of the ball for Lawrence. And uh, a 
Cole DeMarzo, I'm going to mention this kid. He's 6'2", 200 at Hilton Head. He's committed to Michigan State up, up to where Coach Willis has spent some time. Um, I think he's a safety. I don't think he's going to end up playing linebacker. I think they move him to a, a, a safety position. And then the defensive backs, which I think is probably the deepest position that we've got in South Carolina. Uh, Andrew Phillips is my number one guy at Malden. He's six foot 180. Um, he's committed to Kentucky. Kentucky steals another one. He's a track star with lethal speed. Um, very good hips. This guy's very good. He can play man coverage right now. O'Donnell Fortune, uh, 6'1", 270 from Sumter. Long rangey guy. He's got great hips and He's got the hips of a small guy, and uh, he runs with very good speed, and he's committed to South Carolina. He's a natural cover guy. Hopefully, he'll get over there and get and get some uh, uh, development in. And then my number three guy uh, in the secondary um, is Tyler Venables, uh, 5'11", 190 from Daniel, uh, Brent Venables' son. He's a two-way starter for the Lions, but has played the majority of his ball on court at quarterback this year just out of necessity because he's that kind of athlete. But make no mistake about it, this kid's going to play safety at the next level, and, and he's going to be an impact player for the Clemson Tigers. And I'll give you the last two uh, of the top five in, in uh, the defensive back. Stan Ellis, six, six foot 185 from Gaffney, committed to App State. Maybe the biggest surprise corner in the state. Uh, I think this is a kid that's going to have a long career on Sundays. I think he's going to he's that good uh, of, a, of a cornerback. And Buddy Mack, 6'1", 175 from Burns. He's committed to uh, Charlotte. And he's another strong prospect. He's probably going to play safety at the next position. And that's the recruiting um, right now. We have so many. I mean, I've got I've got 150 kids on this list, that, and we'll have to take more time out one week to go through the entire list. And um, I've got my kids. I've got my my top 30 uh, done for the kid. You know, I've already started on the 2021. I've watched about 100 film uh, kids films. I've got about 200 more to go. So, but of the ones I've watched already, I've got my top 30 hammered out and uh look forward to talking about that and we're kind of up against the time uh coach willis any closing uh, words before we get out of here from you just want to say you know it's an honor anytime to be on your show be on with the guys you got is an even bigger honor but one of the biggest honors of my life was when i was 23 years old i got mentored and was taken under the wing of a man named john mckissick and uh I can't. I, I, I've talked to the text everybody down in Somerville, but I just wanted to say publicly tonight, you know, with folks listening throughout the state, we lost a. We didn't just lose a football coach. We lost a true legend. When you were in his presence, um, you knew you were around somebody special. I've heard several coaches say this, but first, my first year at Newberry, and then later after the championships, you know, they'd have the coaching clinic. They'd want me to come in and speak. Coach McKissick was always the first one in the room and always on the front row. And he knew he'd forgotten more football than I will probably ever know. And I'm in my early fifties now, but I wanted to pay tribute to him tonight, Jim. Uh, we don't do enough of that in our country anymore. I think people around the state of South Carolina have done a wonderful job, by the way, in doing that because we do still have values in our state, but I wanted to just say that for him and just say that, you know, um, we need for South Carolina to have a good team, not just for Gamecock fans, but for our whole state. We need Clemson to continue to be what they are. But we need to have two great teams in our state because it's good for our state. It's good for our morale. And it's good to be concerned. It's okay to be concerned. We need them both, we need them both to be winners. Absolutely. And, and um, seconds on the uh, the – 
condolences to the McKissick family and the community and, and, I, and really the entire high school football community because he was such a yep. um, a, a force in, in South Carolina and, and such a good man um, to everybody. I've, I've never heard anyone that's ever uh, come across John McKissick have anything negative to say about him. So um, our condolences with him. The funeral is tomorrow. And while we're on that topic, um, also um, – Ted Burns, uh, a longtime radio guy in, in Charleston, um, worked with the Citadel, and I'm, I'm sure, Coach Smith, you're familiar with Ted Burns. Uh, he, he passed yeah. away as well. He was in an auto accident, and he has died from the injuries sustained in the auto accident. He was a cancer survivor, and, and uh, to lose his life like this is just tragic. So uh, condolences to them, too. Coach Smith, uh, any closing words? I'd like to reiterate what uh, Coach Willis said. You know, I was fortunate enough to play with – Joe called uh, John McKissick's uh, grandson, who's now the head coach of Somerville, and uh, other Somerville players, and hear all the stories of Coach McKissick. Then, to, when I was coaching at the Citadel, be able to recruit Somerville, and he was he had such open arms and never big time Jill like you know you see some guys do that um, he, he was always open to you. And then when coaching against him, when I started out in high school at Manning High and we would go over to Somerville and scrimmage them, and he was so open to us and, and, and just a family guy. And, and, and you learned a lot just by watching the guy because here, here he was a legend and treated everybody the same, didn't treat anybody differently. And, and like Coach Willis said, a huge loss for our state to lose a guy like that. But I know he's in heaven, I'm sure. And uh, I already expressed gratitude Amen. to his family that, but um, gosh, what a what a guy for everybody to follow and, and be like. And uh, you know, then Mr. Barnes too losing him tragically was was another blow for us this week. So we've taken some blows this holiday season, but uh, hopefully there'll be others to replace those two eventually. And um, you know, we're thankful to be on this show and thankful to be talking about high school football and college football because you know our game is under attack. Uh, nationally, and um, hopefully we can ward off those attacks and, and keep those people from attacking our game because it, it teaches so many great lessons. Absolutely. Well, I just wanted to thank both you guys for being on. Also, special thanks to Richie Altman from uh, Southern Sports Central. Richie had to drop out. Uh, he's going on a show at 8 o'clock tonight. But, uh, Coach Willis, as always, appreciate you being with me. And, uh, Coach Brian Smith, uh, always a pleasure talking football with uh, you as well. And uh, just uh, look forward to having you guys back on the show uh, as soon as I can. Um, you've been listening to the Sunday Drive on the South Carolina High School Football Network. Um, tune in Wednesday. We'll be talking. We'll get some high school football in. We're going to talk about the championships on, on Wednesday, and uh, we will also talk some more recruiting and, and have some special guests along with some of the coaches that are in the championships as well as some of the top players in the state who will join us. Uh, look forward to seeing you. Everybody have a safe week. Howdy, partner. <laughs>